Hello and welcome to More Than Miscellaneous, a miscellaneous news production and the show of record for the paper of record since 1866. I am your host, Dean Kapitsky, managing editor for the Miscellaneous News, back for the first time since October. Uh, today on the show, we've got a country-themed More Than Miscellaneous uh, with Ida Rose, also a WVKR uh, DJ, radio host. Um, talking about country music at Vassar and her life um, and, you know, for the, for the greater good of the world. And also we got Ben Fickman, assistant opinions editor, talking about his recent news articles about the election roundup uh, in Dutchess County and the whooping that Democrats took around the country this past election day. Uh, but first we're going to play you out with Father Coy, Dream Girl, and bring in Ida Rose. Ida Rose in studio. She co-host, not co-host, you host, <laughs> yeah. sweetheart of the radio uh, from Mondays? Mondays, 12 to 1 p.m. 12 to 1 p.m. right here on 91.3 WVKR. Um, so Paul Rudd was just recently named Sexiest Man Alive. Um, curious, is Coulter Wall the sexiest voice alive? Ooh, Sexy voice alive. I was just listening to him this morning because okay. I think Cowpoke is such a good song. I do think that he is definitely up in the running for Sexy's Voice Alive. I think there are some other contenders, definitely, but he could win if we were doing like a country Sexy's Voice Alive competition. Okay, but cu- purely in, in country music. I think I think he can go universe here. Oh, universe? You know what? I, th- I think it might be him and D'Angelo. Could go head to head mm. for it, for it for sure. That's very tough. Yeah, a sing off between them would be really awesome. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, so Culture Wall, he is a uh, country singer from Canada, and he's he's kind of the stripped down ethos. Kind of gets back to you know traditional country. I'm curious, like, what your favorite country era is? That's a hard question because. I came into country with, like, country rock. I'm from California, and um, my dad was really into just teaching all me and my, all my siblings to have, like, a really diverse music range. But the stuff that was, like, playing when we were cooking or cleaning was it would tend towards country rock or Bob Dylan. So I came in as a young person with, like, kind of an old, an old man's music taste of, like, mm. more classic country. And I love that so much. I love the birds. I love Bob Dylan. But I think that right now, there's kind of a renaissance happening in country music because, I mean, cowboys became such a major part of, like, like the trend of pop culture that it was ridiculous to not be listening to country music. And I think that allowed for new country musicians to take back the, like, classic country sound and not be scared to, like, reclaim that. And I think that right now with, like, Orville Peck and Kate Rudy and Tyler Childers there's just like there's something happening right now that's so exciting because young people are listening to classic country and then working it into their contemporary music so I think that honestly I think no one ever says this but I think that right now is my favorite time of country for the time being yeah that's that's a 
great. Hey, um, wait, what's happening with Cowboys? Well, I mean, I feel like, oh, let's kick something. With, like, Coachella, everyone was, like, cowboy boots and cowboy hats, and I'm going to wear cow print, and, like, there this, like, strange wave of, like, cowboy culture came into I miss that. fast fashion. It's still happening. You could get on the way. People are wearing, like, glitter cowboy hats, and people are putting cowboy boots on everything. Um, and I feel like there is a disconnect between, like, that and maybe listening to country music, but it created this space for country music to take like its rightful spot in the like contemporary music scene for like a mass listening and not just people who like appreciate it and who have always appreciated it. Yeah. So you, you said it's like kind of a, 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 an unusual take to like country music now. I think people think of like FM country. What is, what is your take on that, that sort of pop? Well, I always... Band? Like, I like, like, honestly, I love to listen to, like, Luke Bryant when it's the summertime. And, like, I think there is, like, a space in my heart for that kind of music. And I can appreciate that being, like, putting it on the same level as some of my other favorite musicians. But I do think that people, when they say that they hate country, which is, like, my least favorite thing that people say. Mm. Because it's just, like, saying, I, I hate. Yeah. And I, I did, too. Like, when I was younger, I was like, oh, I hate country. When I, and then I would go home and listen to Bob Dylan. Yeah. Because I had this idea that country was one thing, and it was like the post nine eleven ultra patriotic, like boots, beer, and girls, and like bring the troops home kind of music. And I think that when if I were to say that to somebody, be like I love modern country, they would immediately go to like that kind of like pop country rock, which I do listen to sometimes. But there, it country is a genre of music, and there's obviously like so much going on at one time that it's crazy to like take one time period of it and say that it's all bad because there's bluegrass being made now at the same time that there's like an electric guitar happening in the back of a guy singing about like a Georgia plate and like a tan girl you know what is a Georgia plate like a Georgia license plate like Luke Bryant goes like her legs swinging by the Georgia plate play it again it's a good song See, this is where I lose <laughs> my Georgia credibility <laughs> right, right away. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned Bob Dylan, The Birds. Was there a step towards the more, I don't want to use the word authentic, but not crossover country? Because I think that like Bob Dylan, The Birds, those are like maybe pop rock. What was your first foray into Nashville-style hmm. country? I think it must have been Dolly Parton. Okay. Like, if I think about my, like, who I was being played when I was younger, it was so, I mean, my, my mom is, has a really, like, select music taste, and it's, she's really hard to please with music, and it was, like, with her, it was, like, Kate Bush was who she was listening to, and I think in my childhood, my dad was, like, let's find the music that your mom will like also, and that was Dolly Parton, like, my mom loves 9 to 5, she loves Jolene, mm-hmm. so I think being younger the like I mean authentic whatever that like real sound of country that it couldn't be classified as folk or something must have been Dolly Parton and then like maybe Loretta Lynn also with like the pill and because she I think my dad was also like raising young feminist daughters and looking for music that could like educate us and Dolly Parton with nine to five and Loretta Lynn with the pill is like this old song about birth control and getting birth control and like the freedom that birth control allows and it was banned on the radio and I think he was like this is the song that my little 
feminist daughters will want to hear. And it is. It's a great song. She's awesome. So what else was he playing trying to raise feminist, <laughs> young feminist daughters? He, I mean, he would kind of play everything. Um, he put a lot of emphasis on female singers and like he loves, I mean, in the country scene, he loves Linda Ronstadt and like with like more like a 90s, I, I also love like 90s grunge country. I'm really into that. Um, so he would play like, of course, I can't remember a single artist from that genre that I like, but he would play this like kind of like women. Um, I think I like, just forgot everyone from that genre. It's okay. We're going to play uh, Dolly Parton real quick. Okay, great. <laughs> Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taking and no giving but That was Dolly Parton's nine so we were talking about uh, the more progressive side of country uh, that you were raised on. It, can you just explain to people, maybe Vassar students, that country music is more than the nine, the post-9-11 stadium stuff that you were describing? Yes. I think that, like... That is the my show used to be called You Don't Really Hate Country Music, and that was just too hard to say on the air, so I kind of shortened <laughs> it. But that is really, I don't think that people actually hate country music, and I don't think that I don't think you can have ever say you hate a kind of music if you haven't like really tried to listen to it. And like, I will never say that I hate a kind of music because maybe I like just haven't found the thing that I'm interested in. And like when people say I hate country music, like breaks my heart because there's so much going on like I mean the roots of country if you like break it down to like the, his the history of the genre are coming from Irish immigrants in Appalachia and formerly enslaved people in the south and like then it kind of melded in the middle and came to California but the roots of country are like immigrant songs and their songs about protest and it played such a major role in the unionizing of workers in America with like Pete Seeger and um, This Land is Your Land, just these songs that were the backbone of like the labor movements, which is not that that is like one of the most important parts of American history is the unionizing of the workers and the like the fight for workers rights. And country music was like right there, like playing on their on like in the um, gramophones when they drove through the protest lines and the picket lines. And with I love bluegrass, and I think the bluegrass is kind of a thing that people can shy away from because it has this really has it might have an acquired sound for some people because of the fiddle, but I love bluegrass and I love what it stands for, and it's like, I mean, in like the history lesson, it when Irish immigrants came to America, came to Appalachia, they weren't allowed to play bagpipes in Ireland anymore. They were outlawed by the really? English monarchy. Yeah, so oh. bagpipes weren't allowed and the way that they could kind of go around that and subvert that rule was by playing the fiddle to sound like a bagpipe. So if you listen to fiddle music, it has such a similar sound to a bagpipe. And there's people now who will play fiddle music on a bagpipe and play bagpipe music on the fiddle and like to show where this music is coming from. And like that is a part of 
like immigrants in America subverting a like oppressive monarchy and making art because of it. And I don't, and I think that by saying like, I hate country music in this kind of like way to diss America, you then in turn shut down the like parts of country music that were about supporting community and uplifting immigrants and like were a way of maintaining community in the face of slavery and oppression and stuff like that. And to, and when people are like, I hate country music, they mean they hate a white dude singing in 2002 about like the troops, which like, okay, totally understand that. That's so not what all country music is. There's so much more going on. There's so much more happening right now. And there has been so much happening for hundreds of years in America with country music and folk music. That's so fascinating what y- about the, the bagpipes thing. I know. So cool. And how, how music just is impossible to keep within a, a culture. I think there was, um, I heard Rhiannon Giddens playing uh, a traditional folk song or Irish folk song or something with uh, like a, I think it was an Iranian drum. Whoa. It sounded like that sort of like trance Middle Eastern music. And all it was was like the, the including this drum and then the voices and like those, those notes became like indistinguishable from country or from anything over there. So it's it's music is hard to is hard to pin down yeah absolutely uh i asked you beforehand to come up with your favorite lyric in a country song i don't know that's my that's impossible uh, probably i had some come to mind um i obviously with my show i love the birds and mm-hmm. i think one of my favorite lines i i learned out on the ukulele when i was little it was this like you ain't going nowhere which by the birds and then covered by bob dylan and joan Baez. um they say, strap yourself to a tree with roots, you ain't going nowhere. And I've just always loved that line so much. And I also really like when songs reference each other, when they take lines from other songs. And I don't. I think there should be a word for that if there isn't, because I don't think it's like interpolation when you like take a melody. But um, there's a song called Devoted by Attaboy. Attaboy is a contemporary country okay. singer. Um, and it's this kind of like funny... It's such a country song, and she's not really a country artist, but it, it she has a harmonica playing and like ha- puts this twang on, and it's a parody, but it's such a good country song. Um, and she says, um, I think she says, I thought about it twice, it ain't all right. Yeah, I thought about it twice, it ain't all right. And it's a song about being in love with this boy that doesn't love her. And when I heard that, I immediately thought of Don't Think Twice, It's All Right by, Do- by Bob Dylan which is him kind of convincing a woman to love him, and it's her convincing herself to love this man, even though, like, he doesn't love her. And I was just like, oh, my God, she's talking about Bob Dylan, and I love when songs do that, and I immediately thought of that moment of, like, copying, sharing when you asked what my favorite lines were. That's so cool. Yeah. And country country does that so well, like, the the tradition. that That, that is, like, a uniquely country thing, I think, like, including lyrics in other songs. Like I think so, too. I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> <laughs> I also think I that there's definitely a culture of response song in country. Like, um, I don't remember what it's called, but there's a new song that is from the point. It's called Diane. It's from the point of view of Jolene from Bob from um not Bob Dylan Dolly Parton's Jolene, and it's okay. it's Jolene singing to who she decides her name is Diane, not Dolly. Um, but I feel like there are so many songs that are like that people make in response to each other that I think happens way more in country music of people talking to other singers across like decades of time or whatever, or like including their lines, picking melodies, 
Um, and I think that there is more of like a sharing that happens with country, mm. which yeah. maybe could be totally unfounded, but no, I, I think that's very true. And, and con- tradition is something that country grapples with all the time. Yeah. To, to keep people in and to keep people out. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, any last feelings about country music that you, you want to get? I mean, you have your own show, so it's like I do. Well, maybe to the more than miscellaneous audience, slightly slightly different, <laughs> if not a slightly different at all, audience. Hmm. I think I would say that if you say that you hate country, you should listen to my show because I promise that you don't. Do you want to plug your Spotify? As a oh yeah. Um, my Spotify. If you look up W O S I E, all of the playlists are called Sweetheart of the Rodeo, and then today, twelve to one p.m., I will be playing country rock. Adros, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This is a blast. This has been awesome. That was, of course, the birds with You Ain't Going Nowhere. Uh, Thank you so much, Ida Rose, for coming and talking country. Now we're switching to Ben Fickman, uh, assistant opinions editor, talking about also the country, uh, but maybe also the county as well. Uh, ben, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, first, you want to just talk about you know what you r- write about at the MISC. You're an opinions editor, but you also do quite a bit of news recently. Uh, yeah, so I decided to write about uh, county politics for this issue because it hasn't been uh, covered as much, and there's not much polling data and projections about what happens countywide during elections. So I decided to just give a rundown of um, what's been going on uh, it within that jurisdiction. So uh, the GOP extended its um, <clears throat> majority in the legislature. It was earlier 15 to 10. Uh, now it's 17 to 8, so their authority exceeds a 2 to 1 ratio. Uh, the town of Poughkeepsie supervisor kept his seat. The family court judge uh, for Dutchess County kept her seat. Uh, and really the only Democratic, but the, the only countywide Democratic position uh, that still belongs to a Democrat is for Dutchess County Comptroller Robin Willis. Okay. Could you explain to us what a comptroller is? Uh, yeah. So a comptroller is... So a comptroller can be for any kind of jurisdiction, really. It could be for a city, for a county, for a state, uh, or any other local uh, kind, of, kind of position. And a comptroller basically deals with finance and budget. So zooming out a little bit, were these Republican gains expected? What was the climate like going into Election Day? So for that, I would have to refer to the national climate. What typically happens is that one year after a new president is elected, the opposition party uh, gains momentum. It's sort of the historical inertia that occurs on a nationwide stance, on a nationwide, um, in a nationwide sense. And I definitely see that mirroring in a local sense as well. So because there's no because there's not much polling data or projections, like we don't have a sense of how much candidates will win by and in close races which candidates will win. But the biggest indicator is this historical pattern of the opposition party gaining momentum uh, after the election of a new president. Gotcha. And as you said in the piece, there's not a lot of polling in Dutchess County. What direction does Dutchess County typically lead, uh, Republican or Democrat? So 
Dutchess County has more registered Democrats than registered Republicans. Mm -hmm. So party-wise, it leans Democrat. So obviously the issue here is turnout, given just how great the Republican majority is. Um, I've heard from Democratic candidates that Dutchess County is slowly becoming Westchester County in the sense that it's becoming... It's been in in a struggle as a Republican uh, county for a while, but it's slowly heading towards a potentially Democratic future. Yeah, as Dutchess County becomes Westchester County and Beacon becomes Brooklyn and Poughkeepsie becomes Beacon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what? How? How has Dutchess County voted in the past, like for the twenty twenty election? Uh, for the twenty twenty election. Um, so Democrats performed Democrats performed slightly better, to my knowledge, uh, than than this past election. Uh, but obviously, uh, Republicans uh, still had jurisdiction over many of Dutchess County's institutions. Robin Lois was still the sole county de- countywide Democrat to have a position, mm-hmm. uh, which was comptroller. The le- legislative majority was still significant, 15 to 10. Uh, and... The only uh, Democrat losses also included, uh, so Rebecca Edwards, uh, who's a Vassar history professor, and she was the legislature's minority leader. She had her seat in 2020, but she lost it um, this year. Uh, And Hyde Park's Brenda Waller, another uh, legislator, uh, Democrat, she lost her seat this year. It's uh, It's interesting to see those national uh, trends, you know, where you're talking about the uh, seesawing of one election cycle to the next taking place in a micro uh, level, like in Dutchess County. And then we have Rebecca Edwards, a vast professor, county legislator, lose her seat. Um, Have you heard from the Edwards campaign uh, or heard from her? Have any indication of what happened? It's okay if you haven't. I have not heard from her campaign, no. Um, yeah, this is yeah more of like a, a roundup of what's of what's going on. Uh, so the n- the next thing on the docket for Dutchess County, which has the potential to be kind of a big national story, is mm-hmm. uh, Mark Molinaro uh, is running against Anthony Pel- Antonio Delgado, um, congressman representing uh, the New York's 19th in mm-hmm. the 2022 election. So. Why is this such a big deal? Um, and is actually, is it going to be a big deal? Um, it's a huge deal because uh, there's, a, there's a great probability that the House is going to flip its majority from Democrat mm-hmm. to Republican. Antonio Delgado is one of the biggest fundraisers uh, in the House of Representatives. And Mark Molinaro is, he may be one of the most popular rep- Republicans in Dutchess County. And so... Um, there were plenty of articles I read online that called Dutchess County, well, the district uh, that contains Dutchess County, a bellwether district in the sense that uh, whoever is elected from that district could indicate uh, which way the country is going, which way the House of Representatives majority could go. Uh, so, yeah, it's very important in projecting uh, where things will end up. County executive from Dutchess County. So, if there's 
no more takeaways from that side of things. Let's zoom out a little bit, talk about what you wrote on the the election day from the Democrat exp- uh, perspective, the big D Democrat perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was elections in Virginia, in New Jersey, and elsewhere that turned up results that weren't exactly surprising, but certainly uh, not what Democrats expected. So what what happened? What went down on election day? Mm-hmm. So, again, on this topic of historical inertia, Republican gains were expected uh, locally, nationwide. Um, but the Virginia gubernatorial race was a more of a toss-up than any other race, really. Uh, nobody could have a clear projection of where it was going to go. Earlier in August, it looked like it was going to go to Democrat Terry McAuliffe because, well, according to 538, he had an eight-point lead for a couple of weeks in August, which, if you think about it, is a pretty long time period to hold that kind of lead. And, and who is Terry McAuliffe? Uh, Terry McAuliffe was the former governor of Virginia from 2013 to 2017. Mm-hmm. And he and he was very closely aligned with the former Ralph Northam, and uh, President Biden was campaigning in Virginia for him as well. So he's very establishment. Yeah, very much so. He had uh, President Obama, President Biden, and Vice President Harris uh, all speak on his behalf and campaign on his behalf. Um, so as the polls narrowed further and further week by week since August, Youngkin took a lead at the very end by about one point, and then he won by two points in the election. And so I think it does reflect um, changing tides within this historical inertia I talked about earlier. Um the New Jersey uh, gubernatorial election was expected to be a blowout by Democrat Phil Murphy, but instead it took days for the election to actually be over. That's how close it was. It was too close to call for a while. Um, Democrat Phil Murphy, who's Phil Mur- Murphy, who's the incumbent, uh, eventually won his race, but with ninety percent of the votes in, I believe he is about only three points up, which is very much short of the initial expectations, which were uh, between 7 to 10 points in 538 polls. So, days after Election Day, maybe it was even the day after, the $1.9 trillion um, infrastructure plan passed. By the way, is that figure correct? About the hard infrastructure bill that passed? The hard infrastructure pack. Uh, package is 1.2. The, it's the Build Back Better bill, the social infrastructure that's hopefully to come soon. That's 1.9. So, in your opinion, um, how did that hinder the turnout on Election Day? Did it? Um, and is it too early? I mean, the day after Election Day, it's, mm-hmm. like it's about a year away from the midterms. Is it too early? Uh, are people going to forget about this come November 2022? I don't think people will... For for forget about those two infrastructure packages, the hard infrastructure and the soft social infrastructure packages, because I believe that in the run up to the congressional elections, Democrats will be doing a lot of will include those packages in a lot of their advertising. They're going to try to raise awareness as much as possible. They want those packages to be the centerpiece of their uh, campaigns. I expect. Um, many House seats and Senate seats that are up for grabs to be very nationalized and very focused on uh, what they've done and what they could f- 
could do further with those packages. The difficult thing is that, again, they're fighting against uh, the historical tendency for the opposition to gain momentum. That would be the Republican Party. And they're fighting against the fact that for infrastructure to settle in, it takes a while. Once Biden signs those two bills, it's not an instantaneous change in um, the well-being of Americans and the well-being of the country. It's going to take a while for things to settle in. So in FDR's New Deal and LBJ's Great Society, these weren't changes that happened uh, extremely quickly. Those two presidents still uh, suffered uh, flipped majorities for their uh, congressional chambers. And it's just very hard to tell exactly what the impact would be of those bills, but it would be at least positive. If those bills were not to be passed, I think there would be uh, Democrats, Democrats and people who would be more likely to turn out for Democrats would be more disillusioned than, uh, than recently. Mm. And that's forecasting in ways in the future. But, you know, if you want to keep your big big brain thinking hat on for a second mm -hmm. uh what are democrats going to have to do um to mitigate losses in in 2022 because this did not look good and the way things are going with uh how education was used um in person schooling uh, in the virginia election side with critical race theory and all the mis you know try to be impartial uh dialogue we'll call mm -hmm. it about that um Democrats seem to be losing the quote-unquote moral high ground that they clearly had or clearly used during the Trump presidency. So if you're a Democratic strategist, uh, what, are you, what are the messages you want to be getting your candidates to push come 2022 about COVID, about these social issues? Um, well, I think the first step would be for Democrats to take ownership of these issues. I think Gavin Newsom did a great job of putting climate change in the forefront in his recall election of September 14th. I think it's a huge reason why he won by such an enormous margin. Mm. Uh, he won by, I believe, about 22, 23 points against um, the yes vote for the recall. Uh, so take ownership of the issues. I think Terry McAuliffe has failed to do that. He's allowed Glenn Youngkin to put education at the forefront in a sense that I don't believe is even um, accurate or truthful, um, despite the fact that education is only a top priority for 3% of Americans. Hmm. Um, for Democrats, the top priorities are minimum wage, universal basic income, and climate change, if I'm not including two more issues that are not education. Really, universal basic income has, has caught on like that. Yeah. Wow. It's catching on. Um, and so, yeah, in Virginia, I think Terry McAuliffe's emphasis, constant emphasis on Trump and his inability to inspire positivity with issues like climate change and minimum wage was his campaign's downfall. And so I think... If, if Democrats district-wide and statewide uh, can learn from what happened in this election, I think uh, while I'm pessimistic about them holding on to the House, we could at least mitigate as many losses as possible in hopes for the future. Also in Buffalo, there was kind of a peculiar situation where uh, 
more mainstream Democrat lost their uh, primary to a farther left candidate and then ended up winning? What -hmm. happened there? Uh, Yeah, so the socialist candidate in the primary won her election and she was largely expected to become mayor of Buffalo, uh, the first socialist mayor that America has seen in a while. Uh, But the incumbent candidate, he uh, launched a write-in campaign uh, right in meaning that voters can write his name on the ballot despite him not actually being on the ballot. And uh, I think he got people from uh, all sides of the aisle and actually took this election in a very unconventional manner. It's extremely unconventional. Yeah, I've never heard something like it before. Um, yeah, so people are clearly still making up their minds about what kind of country they want to see do they want to see big spending do they want to see safety nets do they want to you know get rid of democrats telling them that everything's bad and that (laughs) they need to see change in their society like what's Mm -hmm. what's happening is there a storyline you know maybe from election day or or going forward that is not getting discussed with the fervor that maybe crt or COVID is um a storyline that's not being discussed, or meaning? not not at all, but maybe under discussed. Well, I'm always gonna say it's climate change. Yeah, I I've seen uh, Terry McAuliffe's speeches. I've seen the candidates. I mean, the f- former politicians that have spoken on his behalf. Uh, I've seen a few events here and there, and ideas were mentioned. Um, other than just lambasting Trump constantly, some ideas were mentioned. I've never heard climate. Every every state every state government is, um, and every political institution I feel is somewhat uh, responsible uh, for what happens in the fight against climate change. And so, being that it's both a democratic issue and I believe to be the greatest issue facing America and the entire world, I feel it deserves way more mention. In fact, I think Terry McAuliffe should have put that at the forefront. Like really any other candidate for such an important national office. Yeah. I mean, how do we get people to, to care about climate State change? State and national. Yeah. yeah. Well, h- how do we get people to engage with climate uh, and, and sort of vote for ki- candidates that talk about climate change when it's always we're going to have to spend more, you know, this is scary. How do you get people to vote for a candidate who wants to talk about that? I understand the frustration of constantly talking about this issue because climate change is very slow moving. Uh-huh. Uh, again, impacts won't be impacts against climate change won't be instantaneous. Uh, the move of climate change itself won't be instantaneous. Uh, but in regard to the question of whether people want big spending, I think it's more about people want to know people want to have a better breakdown of what's in the bills so they want to know how that money is being spent rather than just have a number in front of them mm-hmm. and i think it's the responsibility of the news media as well to help carry that information to the american electorate yeah and about the question of positivity negativity um it's true that people tend to focus on a negative events much more much more often than positive events. And that's both a news trend and I feel just a human trend. Mm. 
maybe an opinions column about climate change dialogue coming soon. What what can we what can we find you talking about this week in the pages of the mist? Uh, I will be not ri- I will not be <laughs> writing for the pages this week. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, you two articles this week. But next week, your dialogue around climate change idea could actually be is actually very sound. Well, this is how the sausage is made, people. Yes. Uh, ben Fickman, thank you so much for coming today and t- talking about your articles. Um, we will miss you next semester. Of course. Thank you for having me. Of course. This is uh, the country-themed edition of WVKR's Vassar's The Miscellaneous News, more of the Miscellaneous Podcast. We'll play out with uh, Grant Parsons, my favorite country slash cosmic country singer. Here's Grant Parsons with our shows on Spotify and Apple Music and wherever you get your podcasts. She came out for us 9 a.m. every Monday. A land that was nearly forgotten by